Hi, you're listening to Secrets for an Inspirational Life with me, your host, Mimi Novik. I'm so happy and thrilled to have you here with me. I have created this series for all of us so we can change our world together and live a more holistic and balanced life. Together, we will share lots of inspiring stories from all walks of life, speak with leading experts, enjoy healthy living ideas, explore music and subjects that inspire each other to always have hope. Thank you so much for listening. I really appreciate all of you. Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of Secrets for an Inspirational Life. I hope that you are all well and that everything is a little bit more beautiful for you today. Now, life is a strange thing sometimes. Although it is very beautiful and it's an exquisite gift, it also has its twists and turns. And in everyone's life, there is light and darkness. But what is important is that no matter what happens to us, we can rise above it. In today's episode, we have an absolutely extraordinary lady. And she has an incredible yet harrowing story, which led to huge repercussions in her life. But she has survived to tell the tale, as they say. Her name is Madeline Black, and Madeline is a speaker, an activist, a psychotherapist, and the author of the well-known, renowned book, Unbroken. Madeline was the victim of a sexual crime that left her silent for many years, but has now found her voice, and she uses it. Not just for her, but for so many people out there who who can't find their own. Now, this subject is extremely difficult to talk about, I know. But her story is, I'm in awe of her, really. Of I've read the book and I really wanted her to come on and she very kindly agreed to come on. And she has said that she hopes that by speaking out and writing about it, she can help to combat this stigma and to reduce the stigma to help other victims of sexual violence and crime and post-traumatic stress disorder. And also anybody out there who has had to deal with these circumstances and has struggled with forgiveness. She has said that she wants to spread her message, that it's not what happens to us that is important, but what we do with what happens to us. And if we choose to, we can get past anything that happens to us in our life. Welcome to you, dear Madeline. I'm so pleased to have you on the show. Oh, you're welcome. It's lovely to be here with you. Thank you. Uh, I am, you know, I'm not usually speechless, um, I have to say, but I am now. You are an incredible lady and your story is something that really, when I read your book a couple of years ago, really touched me deeply. Thank you. Well, sadly, my story is not uncommon. It is a story of many, many people 
across this world. Please share with, you know, as much as you feel comfortable with what happened, you know, from the beginning, what happened to you and how it led you to be um, a speaker and activist now. Sure, I'm, I'm really happy to share all of it. And I, mm. I have to just say at the start that I can really share it all because I am so OK, which is why I share it as well, because I want people to know that we can really get past any trauma and have a great life and love life. Just wanted to say that to start with. So thank you. My thank you. Story, that's okay. My story really starts from the late 1970s when I was just 13 years old and a girlfriend and I went on a night out, which went very badly for me as we got drunk. I'd never drunk before. And two young men from the table in the cafe where we were at took us home to her mum's flat. And her mum was away and both of us had lied about where we were staying. And it just became very clear you know, really early on, that they weren't going to put me in the bed and let me sleep off the alcohol because I had been sick. They were there for something else and they both proceeded to rape me for about four to five hours on end. And how old were you? I was 13. I was young. My goodness. Yeah. How did you end up in this place how did you how did that all begin that you were out and about at this time I mean think it, it must have been different in that era of um, being a child in that time yeah. as opposed to now yeah. I, I suppose you were more freer to go out oh yeah well, it was before mobile phones so nobody could track us and you know at home my mum wasn't well she was bedridden for a few years and I guess home life was not so exciting and my friend from school, she was just really kind of exotic, you know. She wore makeup and had funkier clothes than everyone. She was the one that everybody wanted to be. So when she said, do you want to come on a night out? My mum's away, we can use her flat. I just said, yeah. <laughs> it was really exciting. Yeah. And I guess I was looking for a bit of excitement. And, you know, we bought alcohol really easily in an off-licence. And she wore makeup. And I think she just looked older than we were. And I was one of those girls who literally puberty hit me overnight. So go, I went from flat chested to an enormous bosom literally overnight. So I guess we both looked older than 13. You know, um, I guess girls are the same now if they're all done up. We look older than we are. We got into this cafe. It wasn't an underage cafe. It was just a fast food cafe. But we drank the alcohol in secret. We mixed it with orange juice. And it really didn't take me very long at all to be very sick. Now, what happened after the event? Did you speak to anybody about it? Not initially. It would take me three years to really, well, I say find my voice, but I didn't speak it. I actually wrote it down in a note, which I left on my pillow, because one of the very last things that one of them said to me was that if I told anyone, he's telling me this as he's holding the knife against my throat, is that he would find me and he would kill me. And, you know, after some of the things he had done to me and I, I looked into his eyes and I just thought, yeah, actually, I think you're very capable of killing me. So that kept me quiet for years. So when I was about 16, my behaviour was just off the wall by then. I was very rebellious, which obviously now looking back, I know what we don't speak about has got to come out somehow. So it mm -hmm. affected me in so many ways. And... Um, I, I, as I said, I just wrote this note on my pillow, which both of my parents read, and they asked me about it. And how did it go from there? 
it didn't really go too well because uh, they called the other girl involved, my friend, and she denied it. She said it wasn't how I said it was. She said they were nice boys. They were both sons of diplomats living in London for a couple of years. They just brought us home and they wouldn't do that. And my dad still wanted to go to the police, but my mum was really, really quiet. And she just said she can't. And I didn't understand my mum's silence for many, many, many years. And it was actually even after my dad had died, my dad's been dead now about 20 years, she told me that um, she had been raped as an eight-year-old girl and she incorrectly assumed I would need to be examined by the police like she was and she didn't want me to go through that. Mm-hmm. But in that moment, I just thought, well, my friend has betrayed me and my mum doesn't believe me. And so that was, I think, maybe one of the darkest moments in my life. And how on earth did you go from the moment of that terrible event to actually having the courage to speak? How did you live through those years? Yeah, it took me many, 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 many years to find my voice. I would say decades to speak publicly. Um, from then, I my parents suggested I went away for a while. So I went to Israel for a year because I was getting involved with a lot of people that were smoking a lot of drugs and I was doing a lot of drugs and alcohol just to numb out and, and to forget, to put it far out of my head. But when I was in Israel, which is now, oh my gosh, about 36, 37 years ago, I met my now husband. And it was really through his love of me that really helped me onto my healing journey because I thought that I was unlovable, that I was disgusting, that I was worthless, contaminated, dirty. I had no self-esteem, no self-respect, no self-confidence, no self-worth. But this lovely man loved me. And that really, you know, helped me to ground myself. And I saw that... If he loved me, I could give love back in return and I could then slowly turn it inwards and I could learn to like myself and maybe even love myself one day. So that really helped because I do believe that love is always going to win over hate, always. Now, you lived through those years and then you gave the note to your parents. And was it after that that you started the rebellion? Because I read that you, after that... You had three more incidences, is that correct? I did, you know, and it was only actually when I wrote my book that I thought these other events, I I thought about them more deeply and I realised that they were rape. I became, I had so many side effects. I had depression, anorexia, I was suicidal. I ended up in a children's psychiatric ward for a couple of months. I had fears, phobias, and I became really promiscuous as well when I was drinking and doing lots of drugs. And I just put these other incidents down as bad sex. I really, that's all I thought they were. When I was writing the book, I thought, you know, actually, they asked me, I said no, and they just carried on. And so I really realised how we, you know, we just minimise all these events in our life. And we say, no, that wasn't rape. That was just a bad night. That was just unwanted sex. But no, if I hadn't consented, then it was rape. But it that took me years to really work that out. And it's interesting when people contact me after they've read the book they might not have had an incident as violent as the first time but recently I was also I was contacted and a woman told me that she wakes up most nights at three in the morning and her husband's having sex with her and I said well I'm sorry that's not sex he's raping you unless you've consented listen before I go to bed I've heard of that I've heard of that 
And she said, no, I never consented to that. I said, well, that is rape. And she never, ever thought that was rape. And I went, yeah, it is. <laughs> so it's interesting, these subchapters that people identify with them a lot. Now, I've heard a lot of those stories um, about um, women waking up and a partner having sex with them and a lot of my clients actually and they have said to me do you think that's rape and in my mind you know like you have just said if it's not given by consent then it is absolutely and if you can't say no or you can't Mm. say yes then Mm. it is rape there's no consent well yes and but the thing is, I think that it affects people in different ways to the point that they bury it. They know subconsciously somewhere that this isn't right. And when someone actually gives them the voice, like you said to this lady, actually, okay. you know what? This is rape. It then is a whole new journey of healing. Um, and this is what's difficult. Yeah, because it's a normal, I think, biological, physiological reaction to numb out, to push it as far away from our consciousness as possible, so much so that many, many years later, when my eldest daughter became 13 and my memories returned, I just didn't believe them. I thought I'd made it up. You know, I'd worked for Women's Aid for 14 years and rape crisis for six years. And I just thought, I've heard so many other women's stories, I must have got it mixed up in my mind because I I didn't want to believe it. I just thought that if people knew what I was seeing in my head, that it was somehow a reflection of me. But now I know that was just my shame speaking speaking to me. That was just my trauma speaking to me. And actually, my journey then was not about seeing the pictures my journey was fighting with my denial because my denial refusing to believe what I was seeing was actually now harder for my mind than the pictures themselves I was actually driving myself crazy so I had to find a way to really accept all that was done to me which I which I eventually did but a lot of fight involved and resistance (laughs) because it's not easy to actually when something comes up and a lot of us in our lives suppress a lot of things but you know I can only imagine what I can never you know uh, because I haven't been through that luckily and thankfully and I wouldn't wish it you know upon anyone something like that but I suppose that when we all confront some form of abuse that whether that be mental or physical and actually have that admittance of it it is quite a horrendous Pandora's box. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, once it's opened, it's opened. <laughs> you can't shut the lid down again. And that's what I had done for years, you know, mm-hmm. like a jack in the box. I just pushed the memories deep down inside of me till eventually the lid sprung open and I, I just couldn't shut it anymore. So I was the worst client. I went to therapy again and I said, I want you to take these pictures away. I don't want to see them anymore, but mm-hmm. obviously we can't take them away. And I realised that that I could drive myself mad by denying this. And eventually I thought, you know, they didn't kill me. Uh, I am still alive. I realised I'm not my body. I'm not what they did to me. I'm, I'm so much more than the sum of one night. And if I have to accept all that they did to me, then that's okay, you know? It's not happening anymore. But it took a long time for my mind to realise that it wasn't happening anymore because the pictures and the flashbacks and the nightmares, they felt so real that it, it took you straight back to that night. 
So I really realized that the trauma is caught in our body. You know, it's mm. not just in our mind. And, and mm. that's why we get so triggered because it's a physiological uh, release as well. When we step into these memories, we're releasing all the energy in our cells, which is why in a session you can cry, you can shake, or, or why you get triggered if you drive past the building or you see somebody wearing the same jacket or somebody that looks like them. It brings back a physiological response because it is the trauma within our cells. So, yeah, it is not it, easy. No, it's not easy. And I can only you know, imagine what I have been through a lot of trauma also in my life. You know, I think we all have in, you know, as human beings, we've all been through things and it's just various degrees of that. But how do you deal with that when you first had the memories flashing back? What did something particularly trigger that? Well, I think Anna becoming 13, my eldest daughter, I was also studying psychotherapy, which was a very experiential course. And I was doing a lot of personal development because of the course. So you know what, when I look back now, it's always going to come back. It's always something's always going to trigger it to come back. It's always just like a, a spot that's ready to burst. Sorry, that's a horrible <laughs> analogy. But it's always under the surface brimming. You know, my life was just up until that moment, it was influenced by fear so much and I put on this mask, pretended I was okay, that I was healed, I convinced myself. But you know, everything that I learned in therapy afterwards, none of it really was a surprise. We think we're in control and we're okay and nobody can tell that we're affected, but uh, it's not really true. <laughs> you know, we are. Uh, yeah. We live in the last house, really. We are quite visible, but we like to pretend that we're not a bit like the ostrich who sticks his head in the sand. You know, yes. we just and just pretend and deny and minimize but actually I was crippled with fear and anxiety and paranoia and so worried about my safety and about being around men that I realized you know if I don't clean this up once and for all this is going to hang over my head forever so I, I set about cleaning it up which is what I call it cleaning up the trauma cleaning up the trauma it's a good name and how yeah. did you begin that um fragile process well I, this was the last time that i went for therapy i went for talking therapy where i was studying psychotherapy and i saw that the way in was going to be the way out i had to face everything that was done to me and my memories were kind of strange because they always came back to me in my dream state i would dream at night or have a nightmare and there was new information and i'd take that back the following week and i went but how can that be true why don't i remember it and, mm. but you know that denying, that resisting to believe it, as I mentioned, was causing me a lot of aggravation in my head. And so my therapist suggested, you know, why don't you go for some body work? Because I, I couldn't trust my mind. I thought I'd made it up. And the very first time I went for therapeutic massage, I just responded in a way I didn't think I would. I was shouting and screaming and shaking and crying. And I thought, oh, my gosh, where is this coming from? Then mm -hmm. I saw the link between our body and our mind, how much is held in our system. And it actually, as embarrassing as it was for me, because I mean, you know, I was a shy English woman, mm -hmm. um, 
it really helped me to see I, I can't make my body respond like that on purpose. There's no way I would want to cause a scene like that. So it actually showed me that that is the trauma speaking. So I then set about this journey of trying loads of different therapies as well as talking therapy. So I've done so much like transformational breath work, therapeutic massage. I've done loads of sweat lodges. I've taken some plant medicine. I've walked on fire, loads of different things. I've been going to a shaman for about 15 years. So, uh, yeah, it's been a, a massive uh, personal journey, which I guess never really ends, does it? I think it's a lifetime. I think it's our whole yeah. life is the journey. Um, it, it, it's eternal. I, As you said, I don't think there is no end to it. And what happened to these men? Well, I never reported it. So I assume that they just went back to America. But I used to have a lot of dreams. And I dreamt for a long time that one of them died on his own knife and one of them was in prison. And I, I didn't know if this was true or not. And when I was you know, worried about my memories. Could I trust them? I tried many things. And I went to see a woman who was a medium, mm. whether you believe it or not, I don't know. And she started to tell me details of things that I saw, but I hadn't actually vocalized them yet. So specific injuries to my body. And that blew me away. And very near to the end, she said, you know, one of them has been stabbed with his own knife and one of them is now in prison. And I went, okay, this is very interesting. Okay. So I don't know whether these dreams are true or not, or whether that's what happened, because I've never had it actually confirmed. But, you know, I, I, I can't imagine life is easy for them. I don't think you can do that to another human being and it not affect you. And that's really when... When I took that on board, that's when I started to feel compassion towards them and the idea of forgiveness really came to me because I thought they have got to live with that. I've I've done as best as job as I can do at refusing to be identified by what had happened and cleaning up as much as I can. But yeah, I think to live with what you do to someone else is tough. It's really tough. I think that can be a hell in its own right. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and naturally many people would want to seek revenge well you know what if i sought revenge would that mm. just not make me as bad as them if i wanted to harm them in some way mm. i just think i would i would be just as bad as them so i mean i, I was angry and full of hate and revenge mm. for years and i mm. did fantasize about somebody taking them to an empty flat and doing the same to them for four or five hours so they could get it, you know, that it, it doesn't last for one night. It, it lasts a long time, the impact of rape. But then I just thought, well, they don't know that I'm full of anger. It doesn't impact on them in any way. I'm only harming me, my husband and my children that I struggled to have for years. It's going to just poison me if I'm angry. And my best revenge is what I call it, was to have my children because I very nearly didn't become a mum and I was just going to live my life as best as I can and I just refused to be identified by what had happened to me. I mean that that you had actually married and had children is astonishing yeah. and a huge act of bravery. Yeah, I used to think that Stephen was an angel that was sent to me because he just came into my life at the right time and I often wonder what would have happened to me if I hadn't met him? Because he's just very grounded and together and clearly was obviously the right choice 37 years later. So, uh, yeah, it was it was amazing how life just supported me when I needed it. 
And did you have the therapy and all the help prior to meeting your husband? I didn't know. I met him. I was only 17. So okay. I hadn't really started much work then at all. I was still just numbing it out and pushing it deep down inside of me. But obviously, we got engaged and married and he knew initially I wasn't going to become a mum. I told him I couldn't do that because I thought it was going to be like being raped again. And I was just terrified of the idea of it. And obviously I reversed that decision. He, he just thought out loud one day, how about starting a family? And I was ready to say, I can't. Mm. But then I thought, if I don't, then they've won. And I don't want them to have control and power over my life. They don't even know they have control and power if I don't become a mum. They've got no idea. And that's when I came up with this plan, my best revenge. And I've always just lived to my best revenge, determined to enjoy my life. It's it's an amazing, it's really, truly from my heart, it is such an amazing story of real tragedy, but how you've overcome it and your ultimate act of courage was forgiveness yeah how how did you do that well I call myself an accidental forgiver to be (laughs) honest I I never as I said intended Mm. to forgive them I was so full of anger I mean I was bitter and sarcastic I was I don't recognize that person that I used to be I was horrible but near to the end of my three years of therapy my therapist Ron turned to me one day and said you know, maybe these guys weren't all rapists. And I just was so angry at him for saying something so outrageous to me. But it really got me thinking. And I just found myself on this path of inquiry, wanting to understand how can two guys, maybe they were 17, 18, how do they know to be so violent towards another human being? And I, I just really wanted to understand. He planted the seed in my head, which just grew and grew. And I I really do believe that we are all born a blank sheet, that we all come into the world innocent babies, but we get corrupted and conditioned by life. And I wondered what they had seen or heard or maybe even had done to themselves that made them choose to behave that way with me and you know when they were dehumanizing me I look back now and I realize they're only dehumanizing themselves that they weren't connected into their goodness their source their light whatever you want to call it they were so disconnected from their bodies and I realized that I could choose to forgive them And forgiveness to me is about understanding, understanding their humanity, but also it was for giving me a better chance. And I didn't really need them in a meeting to tell me that they were sorry. I could make that decision quietly, personally, inside my heart. And I don't preach forgiveness, that everybody has got their own way to heal. I'm not saying that you have to forgive in order to Mm. heal But it really just helped me to cut those chains that literally tied me to the past, held me down, and it set me free. It really was my key to freedom. It just allowed me to let go of all of the anger and bring in huge understanding and compassion. So, uh, yeah, it was always for me. It was never about them. And, you know, they say, you know, there's a famous... uh... A viewpoint on this but I really believe it and it's if you hate something you tie yourself to it absolutely and I was chained to my past and now I'm just like it doesn't hold me back in any way I'm so free of it and 
it's very odd, you know, I would never wish it on anyone because it wasn't very pleasant, obviously. But I actually now I don't think I would undo it if I was able to because it has taught me so much. It's shown me that I don't have superpowers, you know, I'm not a superhuman. We all have this ability to, for choice and we all have the ability to tap into our resources, my strength, my courage, my resilience. That is within everybody. So we all have that inside all of us and we are so much stronger than we think we are. Now, I know you do a lot of work for um, people that have gone through harrowing things like yourself and you are a motivational speaker as well. Is that right? It is, yeah. So about a year ago, I made the decision to stop working as a psychotherapist because I was being asked to speak more and more and I put all my energy into focusing on Mm. speaking. Obviously, as we speak now, this is COVID-19. So the speaking world has changed a little bit, but I I will always find a way to share my story, whether that's Mm. online or just writing blogs or through books, book events, online events. I will always find a way to just shatter that shame and that silence and that stigma because it's the shame that silenced me for years and years and years and it never belonged to me, the shame. It always belonged to them. And it's really owning your own story that it is actually nothing. It was nothing that you did wrong because so many people blame themselves and I blame myself for years Mm. I thought well you know I lied to my parents I bought alcohol I've met boys but I know without a doubt now a hundred percent of all rapes are caused by rapists nothing else that's it how has your journey been with talking to other people that have actually gone through all of this and can't find their voice yet? Well, you know, I don't judge people. It's a journey. You know, if they saw me when I was caught in my denial and my resistance to accept and to believe, I was in a really bad place for years. So it's a journey. It's not really about the destination. It's how you get there. Um, If I could go back in time and tell myself just to get out of the way of myself, it would be a lot quicker and cheaper. But that was part of my journey, so there'd be no point in doing that. Everybody has the capacity to improve on where they were yesterday. We all have that capacity within. So it's just really facilitating that. Oops, sorry, dog's going mad there. Okay. <laughs> Somebody will get the dog. We had, a, we had a chicken the other day. So oh, did you? A dog yeah, is nothing. <laughs> no better than a mad dog. Uh, I just facilitated their journey and, and watched them. And people always amaze me. People... You know, when they started where where they were at and when they finished their therapy, they would say, I can't believe that I feel so different. I never thought I would get past this. And it's often working with those thoughts rather than the trauma themselves that is the job. You know, the assumptions that it will be too much, that I'll be overwhelmed, that once I start crying, I might never stop. These are the things that we have to really work out before we take that journey. But I'm always alongside someone and I always say, if it gets too much, you put your hand up and we stop. And I'm always very, very clear every step of the way that they they want to go ahead. And often they do. So, yeah, I'm amazed at people's resilience. The human spirit is remarkable, isn't it, Madeline? Absolutely. I think we are designed to survive and not just survive, but to thrive. That's within all of us. You know, even after your horrific trauma and... um, you know, what happened with you 
and that you were raped and with all of those repercussions that came after it. In fact, somehow, if we're trying to look at something that is, you know, good in something that is so evil, your compassion and your forgiveness and your love is something that is now helping thousands of other people, isn't it? I hope so. You know, I I realised that my voice is now my strength and it was somebody else speaking out really that helped me find my voice and I just intend to pay that forward. I realise that a lot of people can't find their own voice yet. Um, So every day since the virus has been in lockdown, I just hop onto Facebook and do a Facebook Live and somebody messaged me the other day and said, you know, I can't like or comment anything that you say because then my family will know I've liked the page of a survivor that maybe I've been raped too. Mm. And I just think it's really sad that there's so much shame around. But even the fact that this person sent me a message is still a way of connecting. I would never obviously name them publicly, but it just shows you how hard it is to break out of this shame. It's, uh, It's tough, but I think the more people that speak out and show people that you know, you can have this thing happen to you and you come out of it really okay and have no shame because I don't care who knows anymore, which is so different to how I used to be. Um, I think it gives people hope, all right? That's my intention anyway. And it opens the door, doesn't it, to people opening up and not being hidden because a lot of things that you hide in the dark, as they say, Uh become worse. Absolutely. It's just to shine a light in those spaces. You know, I've been so lucky. I've been interviewed by some amazing people. And one of them, sorry, no offence to you, was Sir Trevor MacDonald. It's hard to compete with him. Well, you but... know, when we, we can't, we can't, we can't. <laughs> which, which, he was fabulous, obviously. But afterwards, it, what took place afterwards is even more amazing than meeting him. To cut a long story short, mm. my friend told me, after her mum had heard me on the radio, she told her that she had been raped as a teenager. Her mum was 81 and she ended 64 years of silence. So, wow. you know, every time I speak, I think of her mum because we never know the ripple effects of where it goes or who's listening and who might just find the courage that day because I do believe that courage is contagious. And so I really want to be a courage cultivator to help people find their voice and speak their truth and then live their most courageous life, live the best life they can do. And it takes, you know, someone who is a leader and a light. It, it takes somebody like you and it takes somebody with courage, as you say, to give the voice to the other people and that we are all lights within ourselves. We but... are. And I feel like I'm just a fire lighter. So I, yes. somebody lit my fire yes. and I'll light mm. their fires and now they'll go on to light fires for other people. So we're all fire lighters in some way. And your way is for opening up people that have been silenced. Absolutely. And it's time. We need people like you, Madeline, and what you're doing because so many people... it. We don't realise, but so many people have suffered like this. Absolutely. And, you know, people that I talk to, even friends, have all suffered in some way. And some of them, you know, clients and people I've met around the world, they have a story. And I do therapy, going back to, you know, that you were talking about massage mm-hmm. and how the body, you know, keeps trauma. Yep. And a few years ago... 
on one of my retreats and we were doing one-to-one sessions and I had a lady on there and I was giving her a it it's an old eastern form of cupping I don't know if you've ever heard of yes, it yes I know cupping I've yes, yes yes not the not the um blood release method but the one yes. using actually the fire um to you know move along the meridians yes. and yes. all I did was this cupping session as all I did and she began began to wail and I couldn't understand it because she was so together. She had a family. She had five children. And I said, what has happened? And she said to me, I was abused and sold by my family every weekend to sex parties. And I said, well, how, you know, how did this come about? Because, you know, as a therapist yourself, once you open something, that box, you have to be able to deal with that person at yeah. that time. You can't just be opening things without having the knowledge to deal with it. And she said it was actually a point that you put the cup on that reminded me something that I had totally forgotten. And yep. yet it had happened from the age of about four to the age oh. of ten. Oh, I've just got covered in goosebumps mm. to that. And then we started the healing process because she'd had so many aches and pains and nothing was working, you know, nothing yeah, was working. Yeah, our mind and body are so yes. linked. Yes. So linked. So when you were talking about it, um, this reminded me of this story because I thought, this is exactly right. We have so many unresolved issues. Uh-huh. And sometimes, you know, it's like a plug in a sink. You just have to pull the plug and everything yeah. drains. Well, the body remembers, you know, the body mm. definitely keeps the score. It's in there. And it's maybe why some people will get a migraine, some people will go to their stomach. There's, I think a lot of it is linked in emotionally. And definitely for me, I used to go for cranial sacral therapy and Every oh, time yes. I went, I just would be shaking. I would just be trembling and vibrating with fear. And mm. it was just astounded me every time, but it, it released it. And it was incredible. I, um, I'm i a firm advocate um, in complementary therapies. And it's part of my work. And I had cranial sacral therapy. Mm-hmm. It's wonderful, isn't it? Yeah, it's yeah. Bit, and I learned lying down. I could fill my ears with tears. Yes. I didn't think you could do that. <laughs> yes. yes, and, you know, pulling the ears, as you say, or touching something on the cranial nerves, you can feel it in your feet. It, it, it's just Absolutely. so connected. She and was very gifted, the woman I went to for years. Yeah, she mm. was great. Do you still have that done? You know, I don't really do much. I use my own kind of techniques with a lot of it is sports. So, you know, the nights that it happened, I really left my body and I never felt connected in for years so I really need to do something physical to ground myself so every day since lockdown I've been I do three strength sessions and I do yoga every other day and I still do my karate online at night so I like to do physical stuff and I walk every day as well so to get back into my body is really what helps to ground me and if I'm grounded and connected and calm then I can make better decisions when I'm out there and I'm, you know, in a panic mode or I'm not connected in, then it, you, I don't feel I can make good, healthy decisions or options. So I always like to be as grounded as possible. And for me, it's with exercise now. And it is about feeling your body again. And uh, yeah. I was talking to a lady 
a few episodes back and she was a survivor of cancer and she had an out of body experience and she said it's very difficult because you cannot associate with your body in the same way absolutely so it's it's and that's why i think yeah when the memories came back because i was out of my body at the time it felt very surreal and dreamlike and because it felt so dreamlike i couldn't grasp the memories and so Mm. that it helped me at the time because i think if i stayed in my body i would have died but later on when i was trying to recover from it it didn't help me so yeah the mind is very complicated (laughs) it is indeed it is now madeline when you live your day-to-day life now, has it given you a different perspective in respect of do you feel more so unique than you used to do? I don't don't think I feel unique, but I feel gratitude. You know, I know so many women Mm. and men aren't as lucky as me. They are raped and often killed. So in some ways, I have to be grateful to these two young men that they didn't kill me, which is a bit odd to be grateful to the men who raped you Mm. but I do have that you know a lot and I I do really enjoy my life and I love my life and I try to live in the moment as much as I possibly can uh so yeah I I don't really think I am unique but uh I guess we all are really though aren't we yes we are and it's (laughs) what we do with that uniqueness that makes the difference now what are you doing at the moment Madeline I mean I know we have this pandemic situation but what is your um hope for hopefully when this ends what work are you doing well i was traveling literally around the world speaking so i'd love for that to happen again but i don't know whether that will be in physical sense or whether that Mm. will just be virtually but today i was invited to do a webinar at a university in india so i guess it has its benefits of not being able to travel you can just go there you know virtually as well but I don't, I don't really know what I'm going to do, but I will always speak out in some way or other, whether that's virtually on the radio, TV, um, writing another book or, you know, just posting, blogging, doing my lives. I'll always find a way to speak out and end the silence because I'm just passionate about it. I think it's a wonderful thing to be doing after such what could have been a catastrophe in so many ways, but that you have now gone on to have your own family and, you know, your children. I'm sure that you must be an inspiration to them. I hope so. I think I've shown them, you know, what it is to get past a trauma and I think I've shown them what it is to live a a life and enjoy your life and have fun, hopefully. Yes. Because... uh, Try not to take it all too seriously, which does sound a bit odd when I was in a very life-threatening situation. But I really, I try not to take it all too seriously because it's not like we're going to come out of it alive. We have to live our life and enjoy it. Yes, we do and have to take every opportunity that life presents us. Yeah, and I really trust life now, you know the decision to become a speaker, I was really felt like something was supporting me and pushing me in that direction. And I just went with the flow. I just trusted life. And it has been the most amazing journey. My first international paid event was working for UNICEF in the Maldives, speaking at a conference. So I just thought, okay, th- this is good. I think yes. this is direction I need to go in. Yes. So it was amazing. Uh, it It's amazing. You're an absolute really a pleasure to have on my show because 
Wow. You know, I read the book and I had tears in my eyes, I have to say. And I was so moved by it. I was so, so moved by it. And it gave me a lot of inspiration because I thought to myself, you know, if this lady can overcome all of this and now make such a huge impact on the world, anybody can do it, really. Absolutely. And that's my very reason for sharing it. If I can do it, then then you can do it too. So tell us about um, your book, a little bit about your book, Madeline, where it's available and what it's about. Sure. So it's called Unbroken and it was published actually three years ago. But just before lockdown, the audio edition was recorded. So that's only just been released about two or three weeks ago, which I actually listened to the other day on my walks, which I didn't think I could do, but I was actually OK. I was really, you were OK about it. I was really OK. I thought, well, maybe I'll fast forward a few chapters, but I listened to every single word and I was really OK. So that was good. But you can buy it on Amazon. Mm-hmm. And it really is about my journey. So my journey of surviving, healing, forgiveness, transformation and hope. And if people would like to get in contact with you, where can they do that? If they need your help or sure. you know, so whatever they need. Mm-hmm. Yeah, madelaineblack.co.uk and I'm, I'm on all the social media platforms. So you'll find links on my website to all my social medias. That's wonderful. Now, Madeline, I always ask my guests at the end, if you were to give the listeners out there, everybody out there, including myself, advice and something that has helped you in your life, what would it be? I would just say that it's never too late to find your voice. When I think of my friend's mum after my interview with Sir Trevor, at 81, she found her voice and it completely changed her life. So, you know, find someone to speak to. It doesn't have to be a therapist, somebody that you trust. And if you can't find somebody, then write your story down. You know, stop denying what we know lurks in our shadows and start working it so that you can live your most courageous life. It's wonderful advice and not easy. Not easy. Not easy. Not easy. But a worthwhile journey, so worthwhile, because we hold ourselves back when we don't speak out. We do, because... In effect, we lose that right and that power to our voice. And our voice is really that reflection of our soul into the world, isn't it? Absolutely. Thank you so much, Madeline, for coming on. You're very welcome. You know, thank you really from my heart because, you know, it's a real honour to have you. Oh, you're welcome. And I wish you all the very best, always. And you know, in all of your ventures, and um, hopefully, we can talk again soon, and you can tell us all about maybe some new ventures that you've got involved in. Sounds good. Thank you, and take care. Lots of love, and lots of love to your daughter as well, who has the same name. Yes, she does. Thank you. Okay, then take care. See you. Bye. Bye. My goodness. Madeline Black, what an incredible lady. She is such an amazing soul and so courageous in her battle through great adversity. Really, you know, life is not always easy for any of us, but there is really no need to suffer in silence. And I know it takes bravery and courage to sometimes face things that maybe 
we have kept hidden even from ourselves. But the only real way to live our life is with bravery. So don't suffer. Don't suffer in silence. If you need help, please reach out. There are so many people out there with experiences, with compassion. For example, Madeline, get in contact with her if you need to. And there are many, many other places that you can ask for help. Our experiences, as Madeline says, don't define who we are. It is up to us how we deal with it. So please, dear hearts, be brave. And I'm sending you lots of love wherever you are in the world. And I'm very grateful for your company. Lots of love and take care until next time. Thank you for listening to Secrets for an Inspirational Life, brought to you by your host, Mimi Novik. Please remember to subscribe to the podcast and see you in the next episode. For more information about Mimi Novik and her books, music, and inspirational work, take a look at her website, www.miminovic.co.uk. still needed here.